Is this the Justin Bieber tune? So too? much to learn and see. I thought this was a Christmas song, actually. Or Family. it's not. Just for royalty, a whole enchanted world is waiting for me. I'm so excited to be Sophia the First. I'm finding out what being royal's all about. Sophia the First, making my way. Aaron, can you cut this from the board? <laughs> Sophia's gonna be my time. Is this from Frozen? I hear this song. I imagine. Every goddamn morning of yeah. my life, because my daughter is obsessed with Sophia the First. So I. Just oh, I don't thought, know who that. I thought that might have been Frozen from the Frozen soundtrack. No, this no. is. Well, this is pro- I think you run to this, don't you? This is on your playlist. Uh, this is how I lure kids into the van. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing it loudly. Welcome everybody to the holiday edition of the Gentlemen Dojo. To my right, hailing from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> what I thought your I'd music give us a selection is song. awful. A proper song. Steve it's Byrne, everybody. Yeah. It is the holidays. Uh, maybe a Christmas song. Steve Byrne, everybody. To my left, from Detroit, Michigan. <sighs> um, bulbous comes to mind. Rotund. Yeah. Um, lethargic. Gary Cannon. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah. By the way, I was saying this to you before we came on the air. You're the kind of guy that looks at a set of stairs and sighs before you embark on the first step. I would even that hit that. I would even hear that hit that first step. You're you're the kind of guy that looks at steps and is like, is there an elevator? Is there a place that I could set up base camp? You know, you, no, you just look <laughs> at the you, fuck it, and you just go back to your car. By the way, I was saying to you, it was the will you cut this? What? I feel like I'm watching the Karate Kid Nine. Um, <laughs> what were you gonna say? Please. Um, I was saying to you, it was a year ago. A year ago. Sorry, I thought I turned it off. That. Mama Cannon was in studio. Remember that? That's right. So it was a year ago that she was out here visiting for Thanksgiving. My favorite episode, by the way. It was one of my favorites, yeah. too. Yeah. So she was out here. And by the way, one, another one of our favorites, too. Sorry. I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I thought I turned it off. Was uh, Cash Levy, who talked about all the sneak-ins. Yep. I ran into him over the weekend uh, at Thanksgiving, at a, an early Thanksgiving. Yep. And he was telling me about some of these amazing new tricks he has to get upgraded to better hotel rooms, to get better I, I seats on flights. We, 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 we have to get him on. Yeah. Yes. If we could knock off the corny music, Steve, we have a serious show to do here today. Yeah. Yeah. So I just keep... You can't really... I'm hitting the wrong thing. Well, this is starting out great. Um... <laughs> So listen, we're we're very excited. Uh, yes. Our first guest is already on the phone, which oh. is proof positive that I book better guests because they're always calling on time. We're doing our podcast twelve minutes in. You're trying to find out where your guest is, but my guest right here is on the phone. Now let me explain who my guest is. Bob, are you on the phone with us? I'm here. So uh, I'm very excited to have this guy with us because, as you know, as uh, most of our listener, and I don't even say that plural, uh, most of our listener knows uh, that I do audience warm-up for Conan. That's how you and I met Steve on the set of Sullivan and Son. When you got the show, you brought me in. But our guest today uh, is one of the original warm-up guys in the business. This guy started out as a writer years ago mm-hmm. working on Laverne and Shirley, and all of a sudden Gary Marshall, who's running the show, says to this guy – Go out there, entertain the audience, and be funny. He was essentially the first warm-up guy. <laughs> was the first warm-up guy out there, and has led to so many of us getting careers. And he's got a great new book out called The Warm-Up Guy. Yep. Let's welcome him to the Gentleman's Dojo. This is Bob Perlow. Oh! 
Hey, Gary, how you doing? So, Bob, this is my buddy Steve, who also does the show with me, and uh, Steve and I worked together on a show called Sullivan and Son. Uh, I don't know if you remember it. Most of America didn't. Um, right. So I don't know if you... Uh, saw that show, but you have just this great story um, that I was telling Steve about before we hit the air. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got started. I know that you started off doing like tour buses. You were the, the, the tour bus guide, and then you jumped in and started working on Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, it was, it was that quick. There was no transition. I didn't say, oh, I want to be a writer. I was a tour guide. I had uh, a job. I came out from Rhode Island and took two busloads of people for two weeks at a time from L.A. to Vegas, up the coast, San Francisco, and then would say goodbye to them and hello to the people that came off the plane. So it would be a nonstop two-week tour, and that would would be what, what saved me in, in doing the Walmarts, you know? And, and you made a little bit of money doing that, right? That was probably a decent-paying gig? Fair. You know, it was it was all tips. Basically, it was you'd be with them for two weeks at a time, and and I remember one time, the the kiss of death as a tour guide would be to see a hat being passed around the bus. <laughs> go, oh my God, it's over! They were told that they should tip the tour guide ten to fifteen dollars, but once the the hat went around, it was people put in a dollar. They I heard change <laughs> jingling, people <laughs> and you knew that two weeks was blown. So. On the other hand, it did give me the the skills to to do a five to eight hour warm up. Though once you've been on a bus for two weeks, the rest is is easy. So then, how do you transition from the the the, the tour guide to then getting the job on Laverne and Shirley? Paddle tennis, and and I, I recommend this for anybody. If you want to be a writer, play paddle tennis with a friend who is about to be promoted to the producer uh, of Laverne and Shirley, and then that's the way to get in. So you, you had this friend who was about to start working on Laverne and Shirley, then he brings you in, and what was your job title at that point when he brought you in? I was an apprentice writer, and that oh, wow. was under the whole Gary Marshall umbrella where he would uh, – he was such a great man. He would just say, give kids a chance, and we were, we were kids, and uh, if somebody was funny or they had a, a – a different slant on things. You go, you know, maybe they'd be a good writer. Let's try them. And that's how it worked for me. It, it wasn't something that I was striving for my whole life. It was just something that fell into my lap. And and then uh, the warm-ups quickly followed that, where one night on Laverne and Shirley, Gary Marshall, excuse me, said, uh, hey, Bob, do you know, did you know how he speaks his cadence yeah. in Brooklyn? kind of clipped accent because Penny has the same, Penny Marshall, his sister, has kind of the same cadence in her voice. Go, Bob, audience is a little dead tonight. Go out, talk to them. <laughs> Be funny. And that was it. From that point on, it was a warm-up guy. And, and it's funny that you say that, Bob, because at this point, the other shows that are taping in L.A., other shows that are going on, they, they didn't have a, a set warm-up, or was it like maybe a writer that went out there and talked to the crowd, or the audience just sat there and waited for the next scene to happen? No, but you know what? Before I got that, I didn't invent the job. I think I was the first one to do it professionally. In other words, before I got there, and even when I got there, there being 
Laverne and Shirley, what shows would do, they would just get one of the new writers, not necessarily an apprentice writer, but one of the new writers, they'll go, just like Gary did, go talk to the audience, and you'd find 50 bucks in an envelope uh, a couple of days later. But as a profession, it really wasn't around. And then once that ended, as all shows end, Laverne and you know, Shirley got canceled, and... I hadn't really acquired the skills yet to be a full-time writer, but the warm-up was really right in my wheelhouse. So what I did, I went to another show, that show being Angie. Do you guys remember that at all? Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sounds it was Donna Pascal from Saturday Night Fever and uh, uh, Robert Hayes from Airplane. And I went to the producer and I said, look, I know that you use one of your writers and he goes out and probably does a decent job, but I'd like you to try me. And they go, well, you know, we we can't afford it. I go, you don't even know. How how much do you want? I, I, I got my courage up. I said, $300. We can't afford that kind of money. And obviously they could. They just didn't have it in the budget as a new position saying right. we want to spend that kind of money. But they said, okay, the, the, we don't blame you. For, no, no, I'll do it, but not for 300 They go, oh, how much? I go, I'll do it for free. They go, what do you mean? Go, see if you like it. See if it makes a difference. So I got that job and went out there and made sure that I gave big kudos to the producer, standing ovation to the cast. And after the show, they go, go get that guy back. And the show got better because they were more at ease. The audience loved them. And it was a nice, nice coming together of those two facets. And, you know, at that point, I went to other shows and got cheers and taxi New heart, coach, full house. The 80s were were the prime time for sitcoms at that time. And it's also interesting too, Bob, because what what a lot of people don't realize and what I never realized before I moved out to L.A. is that, you know, these sitcoms, they take hours and hours to film because, you know, people come in, they think they're going to be in and out in 30 minutes. They're going to watch the show kind of like as it's a rolling play and they're going to be out. And what people don't realize is, you know, four hours in, you know, now they're looking. I, I I remember when I moved out to L.A. I went to a taping of Frasier, and I was so excited. I waited in line over at Paramount, and I get in there, and I'm like, "Oh, great! There's the living room. There's the radio station." And I will say, 45 minutes in, I'm like, "I'm gonna get the hell out of here" because I was just so bored. But I think yeah, that that's and, where and Gary, you know this as well as I do now, doing sitcoms. You are the one that gets the responsibility of keeping them in their seats. Yes. And then when you have the marathon shows like uh, Will and Grace I did, and uh, we spoke about this, but Friends, which took upwards of seven to eight hours, I think you get into a a siege mentality where you're with the audience. At some point you go, look, folks, we're in this together. You came to a show You've been here for three hours. You want to see how it ends. Let's have fun. Let's just enjoy it. And you feel like a, the Stockholm Syndrome. You're on a train going to Oslo or somewhere. But what I did a lot was say, look, you came to the show. You'll never go to another show again. Let's face it. You've seen it. Now you know it takes a little while. But since you're here, let's have fun. And people go, oh, we, we got to go. I go, really? Where are you going? It's 10 o'clock now. Right. 
And it really you is. Know, it really not going is anywhere. that go, mentality. Oh, just go in the bathroom. I go fine. Then you leave your wife here when you, when you come back. <laughs> Holding and, it for and ransom. You to, and you you did it with a smile, of course. Otherwise, if you antagonize them, they're gonna. They're, you know, we don't need you. We're leaving. So it, it, we have to walk walk that thin line. And I'm sure you do too. Well, it really is that mentality. It's, hey, it's us against them. I know it's going long. I know that this is taking three hours longer than it should be. And, you know, the, the, there is those stories, you know, two broke girls now is kind of like what the new, it's the new friends that's taking forever to tape. But I, th- I think most people don't realize that, you know, when they go to see other shows, it's very quick, in and out, very fast. But, you know, sitcoms are really, you, you just never know. And, and Bob, you and I talked about this. The crazy thing is the camera guys, the audio guys, the catering people, they don't have the pressure on them when they come into a new show like we do. I mean, they just don't have it. It's nuts. Yeah, we're we're on the front lines. There's no question. You know what? I, I wrote down a few things. Tell me if the word, the bad words that a warm up guy can hear from the top. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> top means, of the scene. Uh, okay, we're gonna do it again. The same words from the top are. Uh, the, the one I love is we're on a five, and that's when <laughs> you look down. The, the the stage manager gets the word because of the unions. They have to take a, a five to ten minute break every hour. And when we hear that, we being you and I and any other warm up guy that has been in the trenches like us, we're on a five means the audience is looking and everyone on the stage disappears. The the grips, the, the uh It's a ghost town. Food, it's unbel- and it's you and them. And and we have to then, you know, be aware that there could be someone watching, but for the most part, they just leave the lights on and go out and either have a piece of pizza and back or smoke, but it's us in there, and then it, it extends. It's more than a five, and uh, the producers have to get that product out. But on the other hand, instead of hearing we're on a five or, or the – the, the good words, uh, can you back me up on this? Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bob. Moving was... on. Oh, good. We'll never have to see that. <laughs> seen the, the five jokes again. And the best words of all, Gary. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. (laughs) (laughs) You know, thank you, Lord. There's a God. There's a God. Or on Sullivan (laughs) and Son, we've been canceled. Gary, it's almost like the end of a siege where they come up and they shake your hand. Yep, we did it. We did. We did it together. You're like, oh, they finally open up the, the, okay, the the murderers are gone. We can all come out now. Bob, what what is the uh, what what was the warmest set you were on? What what set did you enjoy working on the most? And then what was the set? Maybe with enough time, if it's safe for you to say, what was the set that you didn't appreciate? If, if we're being dealing on the most? just with sitcoms, I, I got to say, I really looked forward to doing New Heart, the one where he was the innkeeper in Vermont, not the one right. where he's a psychiatrist. I did eight years of that, and I, I got to say, I looked forward to it. And and it wasn't like it took an hour. I mean, it was. The, the, the process is three hours, whether you, you shoot it or not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they were pretty good about that. They did each scene twice, and if there was a problem, they would do three or four. But uh, Bob was, was great. He would come out before the show. Uh, who's the Boss was another great one. Tony Danza, when I say, who's the boss? I go, why is that a question? Tony Danza is the boss. He, <laughs> he runs the show. And he would say, moving on. Now, this is an actor 
he had a piece of the show, so he was also in a different position. You're not going to see uh, someone who, like on coach, you're not going to see Jerry Van Dyke say, moving on, never. But Tony, being the boss and having a piece of the show, would say, we're moving on. Because he knew when they got it. And you guys probably know this as well as I, but what what happens is you get a new time, a, a first time director because some shows get different directors rather than the same one, and they want to prove to the producers that they have all the shots. Consequently, they'll shoot it to death. They'll okay, move the camera an inch that way. Let's do it again. Okay, move that wall. And instead of doing, and and I hope you, you, people who listen know what pickups are. It's those little things inside of a show where they just have someone eating and you have to have a shot of them. You have to do the whole camera switch for one spoonful of food or, or soup. And, and that's what, what causes these new time directors to shoot for eight hours because they want to show the producers they got every, every facial expression, every, every bite of food. Um, as far as the worst, and uh, we <laughs> talked about this guy, friends. I mean, eight hours is unconscionable. There's, right. there's no reason for that. I mean, you could shoot it to death. That's not to say that I didn't like the show. I loved the show. I just didn't like doing it. But, what was the longest taping you've ever been a part of? I would say... Your it, record. Friends... Friends? Was, was the one. There was, I've done a lot of different types of, I don't know how many other, other than TV do you, that you do, but I once did a Michael Jackson video. And I said, I really don't want to do this. I don't think this is my audience. You know, goes, oh no, it'll be quick. He'll be out in five <laughs> minutes and he, he likes to shoot quickly and boom. So at, uh, Five minutes to one. It was in the afternoon. I went out. And I said, "Hey, folks!" They didn't want to hear it from me. These were, you know, inner city kids who just wanted to see Michael. So I, the, the last person on there that they wanted to see was me. So I said, "Okay, I'll do the five minutes." So five to one, I go out and go. He'll be out in a few minutes, and it's Michael Jackson and blah 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 blah. And at one o'clock, I look over at the stage manager, and he's giving me the. He's not here yet. Okay, okay, I could do another five. That's easy. <laughs> another let's, five. Let's cut to five minutes to four. What? <laughs> and I'm going. I, by this time, I've given away my own money out of my wallet. <laughs> Hats, candy. I, I went down. You know, I had to make bits out of it. I went down and took a hat off of a stagehand. I go, this is an important hat. This hat is, has been to the Super Bowl. It's uh, just <laughs> crazy, stupid stuff. But that was four hours of not being ready to do four hours. So the, the oh it, became, it was awful. But at some point, why don't they tell you, hey, like, just throw on a little bit of music, just walk away. They wanted you to stay out there the whole time? Oh, the whole time, finally at five to four. Okay, he's ready to go. You son of a bitch. And and then, and then at five to four, I come out here at five minutes to four. The audience wouldn't have known they were waiting until I came out. That, I, and that's been a pet peeve of mine. I don't know if you've done this, but they want you out there. Go get them ready. Get go pacing. They're going to be here for a long time. You don't want them to get too crazy at the beginning. That's insane. No, 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 no. Because they're so everyone's afraid their job and and you guys know this because you've been in the trenches but it, it, it's counterproductive to overdo an audience you're going to lose the laughs you're going to lose the energy 
it's easy for me to say that now that I haven't done it in a while, but you know as well as I do that's the case. Can you tell us the Shelley Long Cheer story, which I really liked when I heard it? <laughs> okay, so on Cheers, <laughs> I was I was the from the pilot, the first warm up guy they've had. So, and and after doing lots of pilots, and pilots are shows that they tape one segment or one show and then decide whether they're going to keep it or not. And I did Cheers. I also did Friends, the pilot. And you kind of get a feeling after a while. You go, wow, this is a hit. You could tell right off the bat this is a hit. And with Cheers, uh, the characters, Ted, Shelley, Coach, John Ratzmer, they were were right on the money. These were great actors, and the show was great. I go, this is wonderful. And as I'm doing the warm-up, out of the corner of my eye, when uh, they went to change clothes because it's another day and they have to show the passage of time, I, I looked over and you see Ted dancing and Shelley and they're all looking, they're excited to go, hey, this is a, this is our future, which it turned out to be it was. I mean, Ted Danson had some stop for working. Woody Harrelson, he wasn't there right away, but you could, you could tell the rest of them, George went, they were excited. And finally, the stage manager goes, okay, we're ready, Bob. We're on a bell. Boom. And they do the next scene and the next scene. And then they had to go change her again or get touched up or just go over lines. They were back and within two minutes, oh, and this lasted three weeks. Three weeks into it, okay, I'm out there. And we know it's a hit. You, you, you really have that. Even though the numbers didn't show it, you had that, that gunning, and usually after you've done a, a lot of shows like I did and, and you have, you, you, you kind of get the feel for this is a good show. So three weeks in, I'm out there doing the warm-ups, and like always, when I look over to the side, they're usually waiting <clears throat> to, to do the next scene, and they're excited because they're on a hit show. Instead, this three weeks in, I look over and I see them, but there's no signal for me to say, okay, let's uh, remember what happened. Uh, uh, Ted was going in, and then she came in the next day, and let's see what happens. Instead of me doing that, I see that elongation sign from the stage, meaning kill some time. And this happened for, throughout the show, and I go, wow, what happened? Was there a camera problem? At the end of the show, I, I talked to the stage, and he goes, no, Shelly. I go, what? Is she okay? <laughs> yeah, she's Okay. She now demands full hair and makeup after each scene, even if she didn't say anything. I go, whoops, <laughs> it started. <laughs> so when, when Christie Alley came a few years later, there was a sigh of relief. So three weeks in, Shelley Long was walking around with a swagger, like, hey, yep. I demand full hair and makeup, oh, even though we're, we're just like, let's all get through this, let's get season two. You know, let's just try to move forward. Is is there? Do you well, can a, I ask? Do you feel like? Can you feel when there's friction on the set amongst the cast members? Because you know the environment so well, and you're up there, you're trying to placate the audience, trying to get them settled into the next scene. But can you tell when there's friction down on the on the, on the floor? Oh God, yeah. As good as as they were as actors, if you're with somebody for for a length of time, you kind of know that, and. I'll give you guys. Now you heard some of the shows I worked on. Who would you think had had the biggest friction between two stars? Well, after hearing you talk, maybe who's the boss? Nope. No, because no, he was the boss. So yeah, they all knew their their fortunes. I'm just guessing. I have no idea. Tony. I I heard that there was some uh, little friction between Kevin James and Leah Remini. I I didn't do that show. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I did a, a pilot that. Uh, 
Remini did with she was Sam Sam uh, Michelli on who's the boss. They did a, a spinoff where the two of them were friends, and she was the the hard street girl. So, but it wasn't them. It was uh, I, I'll say it was Coach. Really, Ray P. Nelson and Jerry Van Dyke. It was like. Oh wow! Each other. I remember one episode Surprising. with Bob Golick, the football player. He sure. was on there as a, I think, uh, not as himself, but as a, a pro. And after he heard this, I mean, yelling, screaming at the top of their lungs, not in front of the audience, but behind or outside, he goes, "Oh man, it must be awful this week." I go, nope, this is pretty uh, regular stuff. So they they really didn't get along. Why? Wow, I wonder crazy. what the the underbelly of that whole thing was. Like, why? I mean, again, you're on a hit show. You know, you're making a lot of money. It's it's interesting that that would be something that people would deal with. I know. I, I, my my educated guess would be, all right, Jerry Van Dyke saying, hey, pal, I've been around since, you know, forever. Yeah. I remember the Dick Van Dyke show where he, he played his brother's brother on the show and slept walk through, uh, and that's when he could uh, play the banjo and be funny. But that that's just to give background to say this guy was around for a long time and now he's on a show where this new guy at the time, Craig T. Nelson, is the star, and you you want you want that star treatment. And if if you've been around and have, uh, you know what? This is just speculation. I I really don't know what the underlying cause was. I just know that. But the question was, can you tell when there's a problem? Go, yeah, <laughs> you sure can. And did you have a funny Dave Coulier story? Uh, Dave, and this is not my story or even just just my uh, opinion, but Dave has gas. <laughs> and if you look at old uh, clips of Full House, Dave would play Uncle Joey. Um, you could see at some point in every show, the rest of the cast doing their lines, but moving a little further away. <laughs> and, and he would have a, a, a little gassy problem on a regular basis. Wow. <laughs> and then, so, so uh, Bob, how do you transition from these great sitcoms to getting the, like literally the Mecca warm-up gig ever, the tonight show? How do you transition from, you know, working all these great sitcoms, which I'm sure paid a lot of money to then working with Jay Leno five days a week? Just once again, just uh, accident. It's nothing, you know, Jay and I go back many, many years. We were in an improv group together in Boston, and, you know, we're still good friends. I heard from him just last week, and we'd be talking. I saw him when he was in Rhode Island. But I didn't want to put him under the gun saying, or even ask him for the job. As it turned out, I was the warm-up guy for Greg Kinnear, later with Greg Kinnear. Oh, wow, yeah. And, and that show shot down the hall from the tonight show it was a little smaller there were 19 people in the, in the audience and i would get them crazy i mean it was it was kind of a fun late night no one's watching show so you could you could do anything and i got them so crazy and this is five days a week just down the hall that when the executives for NBC would walk around the, the halls at shooting time, they would hear all of this ruckus and laughs and clapping and cheering coming from our little studio. And then they would go down the hall to the Tonight Show, and a friend of mine, and he's terrific, Jimmy Brogan, who was one of the writers, was doing the warm-up at the time. Sure. And But, but his, his approach is low-key. And consequently, 
the audience picks up on that. Any energy that you give out, you get back. And he, so where you from? And you know, nice and funny, but not not really suited to the Tonight Show. So at one point, uh, the producer Gary Constantine at NBC came up to me and said, you know. We hear what's going on down here at Leda with 19 people in the audience. You know, <laughs> if, if we ever get the chance, we'd like to use you on the Tonight Show just to try you out. I go, fine, just give me a little notice because I do music and I have a lot of bits that I do. I go, okay. And then about two weeks later, it came to me on a Wednesday. He goes, you know, we still want to try you out. I go, yep. I go, you just tell me when so I can get prepared. He said, today. <laughs> I'm not. I didn't say this, but I wasn't ready to do it. But I went, gathered up everything I can, went to speak to their sound guy, gave him the music, and it's like I felt like Lou Gehrig. That was it. That was I was there for the next 15 years. Wow! And wow. You, so you did it that one day, and then that was it, huh? Yep. Yep. They so, go. You know what? It makes a big difference. And you know, it's not like you're hurting Jimmy Brogan. We love him. He's the head writer. But, uh, you know, this is more suited to you. And we'd like to have, you know, someone who's just dedicated to that. And I said, you you got him. And I tried everything on that show. And it, it, it was a great audience. It was, like you said, a, a wonderful transition from right. the sitcom to doing 10 minutes a day as opposed to three to five and sometimes eight hours. And it is interesting because people ask me how I got the Conan gig, and it's very similar to how you got the Leno gig. In fact, they had somebody else that was more of a comic than a warm-up guy, and that's kind of the situation you walked into. Brogan's uh, a great comic, but wasn't really setting the tone for warm-up. And then when you go in there and show them what a warm-up does, it really just changes the dynamic of the show, which is what they're probably looking for. Yeah, no, and and... It was a mutual admiration society. I, I love the show, and they they took to me, and it was just a the coolest gig that I've had in, the, in my whole career. Uh, I got to ask, what what is the one thing since you spent fifteen years, uh, and did you do it the whole run up until they they ended? No, no, I, I left in two thousand eight, right after the writers' strike. There was a whole okay. big upheaval, but it was it was uh, you know that and things were changing right around 2008 with uh with conan that you know coming yeah. in and that whole fiasco which was an ugly situation and it's too bad and, and hopefully you know everyone's moved on but it, it was it was a difficult time for all concerned what what did you learn from watching leno uh every night for i guess 15 years he is such a pro that it's it's amazing. And you guys watch uh, the Garage Show, uh, Jay Leno's Garage yeah, yeah, on yeah. CNBC. Yeah, yeah, I've seen some episodes. Yeah, how happy he is. Yeah, I mean it's like a different guy. He's in it's his different. element there. I mean, not that he wasn't behind a desk. I thought he was so. He is the epitome of what a host should be. He he didn't care if the guest was funnier than him. He was just a great, gracious host. But when you see him on the CNBC show, it's like a kid in a toy store. Oh, he's, he's having the time done. of his and life. He, talk about turning your avocation into your vocation. This is it, it, this is what he loves in life, and now he's, he, he can marry both performing and his love of cars together. He, and he is happy. I, I asked him just last week, I go, do you miss it? He goes, no. 
goes every day and you have to be up and, and have to tell somebody how much you love their movie even if you hated it <laughs> <laughs> and you could see that i mean i'm sure conan has to be magnanimous in his praise of his guests otherwise they wouldn't come on and it right. is what's great what was great about leno too is that he was very middle of the road politically like you never could tell like who he was vote like you know so many hosts now you could tell that they're you know swaying one way or the other yeah but but he was great i uh, bob you and i said that the the worst thing you want to hear as a warm-up guy when you walk out into the audience is people yelling hello to you like that they know your name like hey bob bob how are you how was your weekend you know that's going to be a shitty audience (laughs) (laughs) gary and i talked about this yesterday but that precludes you from uh, doing anything that you've done for them before. They've seen your bits, and now it's like, oh, boy, you don't want repeat customers in the warm-up But don't you worry about the other 99 that haven't seen you instead of the one that has seen you? Because, I mean, that's probably a small minority, right, when you're doing a studio audience? No, if it was one, it would be it would be okay. When 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 I say hello, when they say hello, Bob, if it's one person, you're okay. It was groups. It was, oh it God, was it was thirty like... to fifty people going, "Hey, Bob, good to see." You. Oh, geez, I what did you do this weekend? Yeah, I can't do that. So yeah, one person you don't mind, even a handful. But when it was a group, right, and and this happened mostly with sitcoms that were really low on the the ladder where they had to beg people to come and and sometimes pay them not the people but the the group if it's a halfway house they would get the money but the people that were sitting in the seats they they didn't see any of that so the high bob is only a, a terrible thing if it's more than 20 people if you could talk to every executive producer or director or suit in a room right now as an audience warm-up after all the years of all the shit that you've heard and maybe demands, what is the one thing you'd want to communicate to people that maybe they don't understand about your profession? When you say, Now, who am I telling this to? The, the producers or... Just people that work on the show that maybe are in the suits or making decisions. Maybe, because I think sometimes like you guys are looked upon as like uh, definitely a necessity, but it's like, just go out and make them laugh. It's, it's like there's so much as a comic and as somebody who straddled both sides on Sullivan, I I understood the difficulty Gary was put under at times. But if there's one thing you could communicate to the people on the other side of the fence that are working and pulling the strings, what is one thing you would want to tell them as a, yeah, as a but I don't care if they laugh uh, at a joke that I tell my job, our job, Gary, is is the show. If, if they're not laughing at the show, you're not doing your job. That's why, and you mentioned stand-ups, a lot of them fail at warm-ups because they, they want the big laughs. And one of the big things is they go through their routine and it's 20 minutes in. They've got three and a half more hours right. staring them in the face. Whereas if you don't have set jokes, then you're just schmoozing with them, but you're doing it for the benefit of the show. If I could tell them anything, I go, look, I can read this audience. I'm, we, we, Gary, where do you sit or stay when you do a warm up? I usually walk Not around. Not in your notebook, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> I usually walk around. I'm, I'm literally like a hall monitor, so I'm walking around making sure everybody's accountable. Yeah, but are you in the audience? Yes. Okay, because before I started, and I went to a bunch of shows. It was the, the heyday of 
happy days and the tail end of uh, the Bonnie Franklin show and Norman Lear show. But what they used to do before, I'd go, let me be among them and sit with them, and I'll appear like we're in this together. But before that, the warm-up guy would be on the stage or on the floor, as it were, and disconnected from the audience. Whereas I said, let's do this together. I'm I'm a TV fan like you folks, and I'm just watching it with you, even though I work on the show. And I, if I could convey something to the to the other people that we just spoke about, it would be, I kind of get a, a feeling for this for this audience, and I know that they're going to stay with us as long as it's reasonable. The problem is, it's never reasonable. I mean, you know, three to four hours is a big chunk of time. Right, right. And they they think the show's so interesting that everybody's going to want to stay and see this brand new show that hasn't even hit the air yet. That's the problem. Yeah, and it's you know something since I, I we we've been talking since yesterday. I, I came across some. I, I kept scripts of every show I've worked on. I go, and it, my my biggest thing was if someone has a new show, especially kids from LA, where I'm going to be an actor. I get my own sitcom, and I I was looking at them. I go, not only do I not remember the leads of the show, I don't remember the show. Do you remember something called Then Came You? No. Neither do I. And I worked on it. I got four of the scripts. Susan Floyd, <laughs> Thomas Newton, Miriam Shaw, Desmond. These are the, the leads. And I, wow. I, I always say, if I get friendly with them, I go, don't buy the house just yet. <laughs> yeah. Don't buy a car. Don't even have lunch today. Maybe <laughs> you may need that money. But, but none of these names, and this was in 2000, this was not in the 80s. This was 2000. Not one of them uh, do I recognize. I thought, oh, Colin Ferguson. I go, I, oh, the guy who had the late night. No, that's Craig. That's this Craig is, Ferguson. This is Colin. I don't even know who he is. Hey, Bob, qu- uh, quick question. What was your, and I don't know if this is revealed or this is public knowledge, but you know, most comics know that warm-ups make really good money. It's a great in-town gig. You don't have to fly anywhere. You can sleep at home in your own bed. It's a great gig financially. What, what, you don't have to write. You don't have to write anything. <laughs> what, at, at your best year, what was, what was like your best year financially as a warm-up guy? Probably late 80s, early 90s. And it was, it was pretty... Uh, pretty steady at that point. Where if you did two 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 warm-ups a week, you could. You, it was difficult to do three, even if there was a million shows out, because right. they need that Tuesday or Friday to to really round out a full week. But I'd say late '80s, early '90s was was really my my peak years it, as a warm-up guy. I later, you know, did pilots uh, with Jason Alexander and a few other people of my own, and you know that was better money. But warm-up money, I'd have to say, late '80s, early '90s, and easily over six figures. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's literally crazy what people don't people don't realize. That's why they want to get into it because they don't realize just how much money there is out there. And, you know, it's crazy because you can warm up a guy's show and then years later make more money than him, which is... Yeah, yeah. Gary, 
Oh, Shut sorry, I was talking about Steve. Fuck up. Bob, I, I as we uh, start heading into the finish line, I just want to say thank you because I remember seeing you years ago at the Tonight Show when I saw a taping of it, and you were the guy who was doing warm up, and I was like, oh my god, that th- felt feels like a really cool gig. And uh, I remember years later, I just started hanging out at shows and. I uh, hung out at the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn and just started learning the business. And uh, your book just really speaks volumes about the business and the behind the scenes looks at everything. And, you know, even if you're not in show business, it really just kind of captures the essence of, you know, really what goes on behind the scenes of a show. And the book is called The Warm Up Guy, uh, and it's available on Amazon and a bunch of other different venues. But, uh, Bob Perlow, I want to say thank you for joining thank us here. Thank you so much, Bob. And uh, Thank you, guys. Really, I really enjoyed it. This was fun. If you ever want to do it again, just give me a we call. we got to have you back and ask about a lot more stories. We yeah, have I'd love to. so many more stories yeah. to cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We absolutely loved it. We will definitely have you back again, Bob. Thank you so much, and uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thank Bob. Thank you, guys. See ya. Thanks, Bob. The warm-up guy by Bob Perlow. I wanted to ask more questions, but you kept pointing – at you, because people don't, people can't see this, but every time we ping pong back and yeah. forth, it's like I got the next question. You kept pointing to yourself, and I had like four or five that I'd love to have asked him, but, but we'll have him back. I'd love to. We can get him back on the phone. Anyway, the warm-up guy, Bob Harlow. Thanks for I listening, everybody. Oh yeah. The Gentleman's Dojo. <laughs> this is like one of the few where you've actually taken the lead. I have to. I, I did take the lead on this one. By yeah. the way, I did not see you pointing, so you're full of shit. Shut the fuck up. You didn't I was. Point I at definitely all. was. I saw you checking your Tinder. All right, listen. Please. The warm up guy, Bob. I saw Perlow. you checking your grinder. Oh. Boom. Thank you. You got burned. Everybody. Thank you, guys.